And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We continue our Easter Eggers mini-series here leading up to The Northman as we review The Lighthouse today. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also, Mike. Mike, how was your Easter, and where were you when you learned that the Boston Celtics were going to win the NBA title? Uh, I was being texted by a certain somebody (laughs) every other minute. I was just stewing in my own hate, which is, you know, kind of like the characters in this film for Mm -hmm. for much of it. good point, Uh, yeah. Let bring that back. So I was not very Eastery. Um, <laughs> I was eating Reese's eggs at the time, just getting sugar high. There's yep. way too many Reese's eggs. Just There's to, so much candy in this house right now. It's disgusting. It's it's awful. So if, if I like have these mood swings uh, again, like the characters in this film, uh, that is why. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it, we're in this uh, weird situation together here where we're on polar opposite sides of our NBA basketball fandom Mm -hmm. and we're also in a metaphor for our podcast the the review today and we uh we're reviewing a movie that's basically the story of our podcast essentially (laughs) and how all the metaphors apply yeah relationship is yeah as we talk about uh (laughs) the second movie in Robert Eggers filmography here The Lighthouse this was the movie that came out in 2019 Robert Pattinson Willem Dafoe a lot of farting and a couple birds a couple of birds and but no birds were harmed in the making of this movie it's very important uh (laughs) despite uh the realism and I think this was a weird movie to be situated in for me having to watch it again and again and again this weekend. Number one, during Easter when I have all my baggage. But number two, uh, while you were just so happy, so happy yesterday, which just made, yeah, just it's like a seesaw. Like when you're happy, I just, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And your unhappiness keeps me happy too on top of it. No, because there were Nick rumors about those stupid guys who showed up to the Mavericks jazz games. Of course, I'm reading into those, texting you about those, and you shooting me down again immediately. (laughs) Ah, ah, Yeah, it's that time of year. NBA playoffs and uh, NFL draft will probably slip that into coverage as well. But we will stick for now as much as we can uh, to this Bizarre movie, if you've not joined us for part one of the Easter Eggers miniseries, and it's so-called because it is between the two uh, religious Easters on the calendar, and we are trying to uh, rope in some cute, cleverly, dad-jokingly named segments into the way we review each and every one of Eggers' movies, all what will be three of them by the time The Northman is done, which we are planning on recording this upcoming weekend. Uh, As we sit here and record this one on Monday the 18th for you, we will not be spoiling anything about The Lighthouse in the first half of this episode. You'll get a spoiler warning at the midway point, but if you've not seen the movie yet, or if you don't remember what happens, you don't want to be spoiled, don't worry. Uh, The spoilers and everything about the plot will come in the second half, not here in the first half. So Let's buy the candy, Mike. Let's talk about The Lighthouse from A24 and introduce the movie. Yeah, co-written and directed, of course, by Robert Eggers. And he teamed up on The Lighthouse with his brother, Max. Uh, We'll go into uh, the writing process a little more later on. Uh, Of course, it stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. The cinematographer was Yaren Blatchke, who would be nominated for a choice BAFTA and an Oscar during the 2019-20 awards campaign. 
Yeah, otherwise, The Lighthouse had some notable wins in 2019, including the director's Fortnite Prize at Can, Can, Canes, Cannes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it premiered in that can at May of 2019. It also won two Indie Spirit Awards for Best Cinematography from Blaschke and Supporting Male. That went to Willem Dafoe. Blaschke, like Mike said, was nominated at the Oscars. Dafoe was not. Uh, Dafoe failed to merit nomination in the category of Supporting Actor that was eventually won by Brad Pitt's abs from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And also... <laughs> Also included Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers in A Fever Dream, Anthony Hopkins playing a Pope and a Pope that is somehow more boring than the actual Pope, and both of Mike and I's <laughs> grandfathers from their roles in The Irishman. The, uh, the, both of our grandfathers did star in The Irishman. <laughs> I knew that was them. The critical reception for The Lighthouse included an 83 Metascore, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's on 383 critic reviews. The audience reception uh, was higher than The Witch overall. The double V Witch there, The Witch. 7.4 uh, on IMDb's 197,000 votes currently is what The Lighthouse's score is. And it carries a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes with over 1,000 user votes. Yeah, The Lighthouse was released October 18th of 2019 and grossed $18.3 million on an $11 million budget. So not huge box office, not the 4 to 1 or, or the uh, 10, 10 to 1. one. Yeah. $40 the, million on the $4 million was, budget. Which the, is the sad. And I saw I saw a critic, uh, Richard Newby, saying that it, it, it's kind of depressing him how little momentum and how little fanfare there seems to be for Eggers the Northman coming up and that makes me fear for its box office as well obviously in dealing with the pandemic here so to see this number is a bit disturbing I, I hope people show up to the theaters show up to the theaters dear listener if you like uh, what we're pitching with these first two Eggers episodes go see the Northman in theaters yeah it got great reviews and it did in 15 markets 3.4 million I don't know which markets it was so I don't mm. really have the inside analysis of the Northman's box office of those 15 markets but yeah, it wasn't a, an eye-popping number. It wasn't something that people wrote a lot about. So, the, yeah, it, d- it does have me a little worried. But uh, the reviews, like I said, really, really great. So we're uh, we're looking for that film study the following weekend. But, all right, the lighthouse is loaded here. Let, let's get into the plot premise. Let's get into the non-spoiler review. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s take uh, out lighthouse keepers and put movie podcasters correct you have us uh michael (laughs) what were your expectations of this movie this has been long gestating hate from me to you uh, not seeing it and you held out belligerently yeah uh to to your credit and damnation what do you think i didn't expect the Shining, or uh, which which was this kind of alludes to uh, Robert Eggers, big fan of The Shining. I think mm-hmm. uh, this these some of these Hitchcockian type uh, camera angles as well. I don't know that I expected this. Maybe I should have after we reviewed The Witch. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what my expectations were, having only seen a little bit of this movie to begin with. Uh, that hate coming from the fact that I had seen only random clips of this online, and you that idea uh, appalls you. Yeah, I, I don't understand why. It, it just makes me sad. It just makes me sad. You just want to spoil yourself. I mean, some some of our listeners are this way. They don't mind spoilers. It's yeah. almost comforting. Did, like, your brother, like, do things? Like, this is this Shade's fault? <laughs> Did he surprise you unpleasantly throughout your childhood that you no, don't, don't like any surprises and plots? 
I don't think it's Shmave's fault. I just think I like, you know, having an idea of something, what's of knowing what's going on and what's hot in the zeitgeist and, and what's being talked about. And I like, you know, keeping myself abreast of it without having to spend too. But I will like <laughs> the fact that Eggers keeps these shorts, mm-hmm. these short, I should say, I love. And again, another movie under two hours. It's great. Short, snappy, psychotic. Yeah, exactly. And I should have watched this one. Yeah, this was something I tried to get you to watch, too, because I, I had really wanted to do a film study on it back in 2019, and you mm-hmm. you were just having nothing of it. And then you, you, you put your foot down. You're like, no, nah, I'm just, this is not it. I, I refuse. And it was <laughs> it was a joke. It was a bit. And I, I was trying to tell you, darn it. I was trying to tell you. Uh, but, you know, you, you just did your thing. It lost momentum towards the Oscars, too, is what it was. Like, the big, I feel like I don't really need to get to it because it just wasn't there, you know? It only had the one nomination. Defoe kind it was of only the people's favor. favorite and uh, yeah. film Twitter favorite. But, again, that turned you heel. Right. That turned right. your heart to stone. Correct. Correct. I have no use for other people that aren't me. Right, so the, that gets you angry. Is this the way you're feeling right now about everything, everywhere, all at once? I'm guessing this is exactly the way you're feeling about that lovely, beautiful movie that uh, you're destined to love but pretend to hate for a while. I want nothing but the worst for Michelle Yeoh. No, I, I don't. I haven't thought of it, to be honest. All right, so you're not there yet on that movie. There's still hope, folks. There's still yeah. hope. Uh, look, at I saw this when my brother was still in college. I met him up by his campus with his buddy and this was like the perfect movie to take a couple of college dudes to like Mm, it was weird they loved it they loved it i was like shell-shocked after it (laughs) i mean because it was what it was and i i was like i don't know what it means and these two idiots were just like i loved it that was awesome (laughs) i don't know what it means and we went and we had faux because they wanted to eat some interesting uh, cuisine oh, and okay. they they loved it all, all they did was talk about all the crazy shit in the movie so it was a big hit that day and i eventually you know got around to watching it again and again defoe was in my fives for the oscar season i ref, you know i was shot down by you on reviewing it but i had to watch it three more times this weekend i watched it once a day so i'm like mired in this movie right now and i'm basically muttering to myself what what over and over again i need somebody to <laughs> reciprocate it on the other end here it's most of how most of our production meetings go is that scene uh, just yeah back and forth there and our basketball conversations as we've already established <laughs> gonna be i think it's gonna be a lot of that kind of relating to us in this episode mm-hmm. completes with the with the farts as well but let's fill the eggs let's talk about the script thoughts the direction the overall composition of this movie a lot of questions is yeah. is this really the Eggers brothers doing classical literature fan fiction? Uh, is this really a sitcom between two Greek gods that never interacted in classical literature but do in this movie? Uh, is it a psychological thriller? Is it a supernatural horror or both? Do we just internalize it as our podcast? I don't know. Uh, what's real and what's not real? They do keep you guessing. Mike, there's so much built into this story that I'm just left with one question after another that I think it's just going to be fun at the end of the day in 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 spoilers to go after here. And uh, like, look, I, we couldn't spoil this movie really if we wanted to because we don't know what the hell it means, do we? No, and it's nonsense what actually happens. So like, <laughs> people would just think we're lying to them and not telling the truth anyway. That's true. So like, again, it's another movie from Edgar's where... 
I think it's plays differently after quarantine, after the pandemic. So I don't, I hope it's not in a prophetic way uh, for most of you at home. Uh, and, and it's just kind of a ironic, dramatic irony for the two of us here across the airwaves. But like, we don't know if this is purgatory, if this is hell, if this is having an Oscars podcast, we don't know what the symbolism means. And I just think that's the work of a really strong composition by the director, by the brothers. I'm like, I got all these brothers questions too. Like you and I are both brothers. Like what, what the hell did it mean to them to write this story? Yeah, it could be some familial issues going on in the Eggers family, I think. Uh, that's <laughs> probably fair to say. I, I, On a much more surface-level question, too, I don't know how they kept this so unboring at the start. Because there's, what, seven words of dialogue, maybe? <laughs> like a half hour of this movie? And they're just doing chores. Right. It's just, it's a lot of Pattinson, it's a lot of Batman walking around an island. It's Battenson walking down an I- yeah. island and um, having mermaid fantasy. <laughs> not even yet. Not, no, not yet. He's literally he just walking around, coming. doing chores, doing what needs to be done, finding little statues in his mattress. Riveting. Riveting yeah. cinema. That's that's the mark of a great director. Uh, we we got to hurry up into spoilers, but I think uh, let's paint the eggs. Let's talk about the uh, production values here. Cinematography is a is a highlight. It's a showstopper. It's as good as advertised. It should have been nominated. Uh, it probably wasn't going to win against uh, 1917. There, I agree with that. The last 20 minutes of this are truly spectacular to look at. I'll yeah. talk more about those in spoilers to get into specifics. But yeah, I mean everything. This is. Shot extremely well, which isn't, man, you know, I'm not breaking any news by saying that. Uh, I The black and white definitely adds something to it. Oh, yeah. And then the aspect ratio yeah. being that tight and mm-hmm. claustrophobic, struck claustrophobic. Well, that's, we're, we're learning that's an Eggers signature. He loves the, everything being tight and in those close-ups and, you know, sh- shooting at an up angle, looking into someone's face. He loves all that stuff. I also watched an 80-minute video. <laughs> I that saw began, that one. I didn't watch began, it, but I saw yeah, it. Novum on YouTube did an 80-minute breakdown of the lighthouse. I actually disagree with them and what it all means. I agree with a lot of stuff, but he did differentiate the types of camera work between one sense of the reality he put on the movie and then another like grainier, different sense of reality. So that, that has to do with it, and I wonder if it's true. There's got to be a reason for it. Uh, Eggers doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would just do stuff just to do stuff. But, you know, that said, you came up with this beautiful theory about the witch when we did that. And we were able to, to wax poetic about the psychology behind it, and the theories behind it. I don't know that we're going to have that for this one. We're going to have a lot of theories of our own. But I don't know that you and I land anywhere concrete. No, and I think that's the goal of this movie. He just wanted you to have that guessing game yeah. with it. He, he came so definitively, at least in terms of the reality of what the last one was the witch and he bent over backwards to say no this is real this is real see see mm. here's this uh you know after the fact evidence to to right. prove what just happened is real you know so they kept doing that in the witch and in here everything's cast into much doubt, more which ambiguous is, yeah yeah which is a lot of fun production design they built the set of the lighthouse in nova scotia they also filmed interior stuff at a military hangar set uh this is this is a set that is I, I just give them a lot of credit because all the exteriors 
were extraordinary in my mind. Like everything they shot outside with animals, without the fog. I mean, it's just something else. And it's another example of their shooting in Canada, but having the movie take place in the Northeast, which is exactly what the witch did as well. And they had the same kind of, it looks the part weathery overcast gray, even though it's black and white, dark, damp. Yeah. Exact kind of same mood. Well, not the exact same mood, but very similar mood. The sound and the score, I again, I, this is not our expertise, but there's some great YouTube videos. Film School Rejects uh, sends you to one, and they actually do a breakdown in one of their articles on the sound mix and all the onomatopoeia <laughs> that was used. I tell you. I mean, there, there's babies crying in random, you know, uh, random sound effects of the wind or the rain. Or yeah, something. I don't have that type of ear, but I did hear some similarities to Hilder Guanta de Tears from Joker and mixed in mm-hmm. with the, some of the sharp violin notes that uh, reminded me of, of not get out, but us. Uh, yeah. Something very similar to like a combination of those two, which is a perfect horror setting. Yeah. I struggle with like re-listening to horror scores. I really do. Well, they're just all I- sharp notes and high pitched notes and, sh- you know, to signify jump scares and screaming, yeah. mindless wailing, uh, like, like if you ever listen to the hereditary score, then <laughs> I worry for your soul. I really do. Uh, and like, you know, the, I guess he's buddies with Ari Aster and this is very, again, they, they, they're definitely, they're definitely colleagues. Let's mm. just say mm. yeah. uh, with, with how jarring the, the audio is in, in both their works. Uh, otherwise Mike, the performances here will hide the eggs. Willem Dafoe. Like, I'm so angry that he wasn't nominated, Rewatching this as many times. Like, Pattinson, I know, is going over the deep end, and it's really, it's it's nuts. And I understand why a youngster like him, as Ephraim Winslow, I wish he never. I wish he never went with the accent. I wish he just, I mean, it goes in and out way too much for me. And you could tell that he tries to sing some really loud notes in there. I don't know if it necessarily works. Like, he has some just complete batshit moments, Pattinson. Goes full mocky-mock a couple times. Right, but the Defoe performance. He's the old man of the sea. He's the old man in the sea. He is the sea. He is the quintessential sailor, the wiki that we will remember always. This is a part for the ages for Willem Dafoe. I can't believe he got snubbed, especially after all the love of, you know, you know, the, the Vincent Van Gogh yeah. and the Florida Project, yeah. which I didn't think he should have been nominated for the Florida Project. No offense there. And maybe that's why. And maybe that's why he got overlooked. I mean, I would certainly pick this to be nominated over Tom Hanks and won't you be my neighbor I mean that was a good performance it's no disrespect yeah, right. I mean it's yeah. no disrespect to Tom Hanks in that movie but I don't know that Tom Hanks was playing anything really other than Tom Hanks in that movie he I was wonder great if he was, was gentle and yeah I, I'd have to go listen to our supporting actor because uh, I think we did that with Bibbs right that year I can't remember I can remember had a, either yeah it's, it's 100, it's, you know, 170 uh <laughs> podcasts ago <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> maybe more probably more and uh what is that in weeks on it's, a lighthouse <laughs> how only, many fortnight it's only been that? six hours in reality yeah <laughs> i will say this about pattinson a lot of the performance is reserved which makes his blow-ups a bit more jarring but he does hold a poker face with uh defoe for for much of the movie yeah he does but it's 
also you can read that he's a pot that's boiling over. I mean, there are scenes where he's not saying anything, but you could tell he's just, and this is a credit to his acting. Masturbating. Yeah. Well, he, not, I, not that. He's doing that And too. by the way, I don't understand. So like the, the, the horror music in which the scene where Pattinson was <laughs> masturbating is, is Edgar suggesting that you're not supposed to be picturing the back of Leslie Nielsen's head in, in a mermaid with a chicken vagina while you're masturbating? Is that not normal for people to do? Is that I didn't under I didn't get that. But anyway, Leslie Nielsen. How many times do you watch that movie? How many times did you just like go to bed every night and watch Naked Gun? And it's the one movie, right? It's the back of Leslie Nielsen said. I don't know what to tell you. Leslie Nielsen was standing on the beach looking out at the water and Robert Eggers shot the back of his head. That's exactly what happened for this movie. That's that's a very, very unique (laughs) tunnel vision that you have. I have no idea what I was talking about, by the way. I don't know either. I, I know we probably should get into spoilers because we're dancing on the uh, on the edge of the uh, the tabletop here. Yeah, we're dancing right before, and then we're bound to have a fist fight and then hug it out afterwards. I think is almost kiss. Yeah, right. right. Spoiler. <laughs> we're spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for The Lighthouse, the Robert Eggers movie of 2019, part of the Easter Eggers miniseries brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. It's uh, streaming right now for free on Showtime if you want to go check it out there. Uh, Otherwise, if you want to hear our thoughts on the spoilers or if you're just so enraptured as to what we have to say that you have to hear it now, uh, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from this point out. Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse, part of the Easter Eggers miniseries, Michael. All right, so... I'm going to throw the four or five main theories at you real quick. Mm -hmm. I don't know which way we want to go, but let's just throw them out there. We'll probably hit them all throughout. But there's the mythological one where Proteus and Prometheus, two characters in Greek mythology, I guess Roman as well, but Greek mythology they're most known for. They never cross paths in the mythology, but here they are crossing paths in like this sitcom of fan fiction. All right, I like your cooking. Nerds, yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> then there's the Jungian, Freudian, Oedipal, you know, the psychological for you. Uh, there's, you know, uh, on the branch out from that, we have the 80-minute video from Novum where he talks about the psycho psychosexual interpretation mm-hmm. the me too connections is my uh you know basically because this came out in 2018 we'll get there but we also have the ghost story which is what eggers talked about this movie as in its inception and that brings up this multiple versions of the psychological thriller nature of the lighthouse here so the Greek god one the Poseidon and his son is definitely hinted at it's very on the nose because I don't know which god it is, but Defoe basically turns into him at one point he does. at the end. He does, and that and that Proteus is a shapeshifter. Because right. look, I mean, I had to look this up. It was like WTF is Proteus. Mm-hmm. I never knew the son of Poseidon, right? Uh, but he harks for his father at one point, and he he is the shapeshifter who turns into the HP Lovecraftian octopus he turns into the the mermaids apparently he turns into the the guy that pattinson's character probably killed mm-hmm. in, in many Leslie ways Nielsen. and it all 
Leslie Nielsen. It also it all comes to a head during the almost murder scene, right? Where he's punching him, and he becomes those three things literally in that scene. Now, there's definitely that aspect to the movie. The question, taking a step back from what's happening on the surface level in that scene, is is that actually happening, or is this happening in Robert Pattinson's mind? Is it you know because he's drinking gasoline at this point? You know, he's just they're, they're drinking uh, turpentine, right. which I can confirm <laughs> it was turpentine with honey because there's it was on the label of the <laughs> of the can. But you're right, maybe it was gasoline or kerosene. Uh, the one, the, yeah, the one sip he had the swig out of that, it looks like a gas container. I mean, it just, it looks purely like a guy, but I, I'm willing to buy that it's turpentine too. But regardless, it's, it's, his mind is not right and he is drinking more and more frequently and less and less with uh, Willem Dafoe's character as well. I would also yeah. say the second most on the nose of those that you just pitched is the ghost story aspect of it. And when Pattinson does spill his beans and tells his story about how he killed the man named Ephraim and he's actually Thomas Howard is his real name mm-hmm. and he assumed the ad- identity of Ephraim and blah, blah, blah. The next thing that happens is that we get kind of this haunting voice of uh, Pattinson not being able to find Defoe, but hearing Defoe's, you know, ghost-like, why'd you spill your beans, haunting mm-hmm. chant going throughout the these empty hallways that we're looking down. Yes, and that was the inception of the film where Max Eggers wanted to make, you know, wanted to write a ghost story in a lighthouse. And it was just a man and his dog, and it was going to be an Edgar Allan Poe unfinished tale that he was trying to adapt. Uh, it didn't come to the it didn't come to the script necessarily in that way. That instead, Brother Robert, after the witch, kind of wanted to take a crack at it again. You can and, and listen to like the film at Lincoln Center interview of Edgar's like an hour long where he, he describes the writing process to a T with his brother. Mm. They really had quite the collaboration there. That was a really good interview. And essentially it sounds like they moved to, more towards this Welsh true crime mystery where these three lighthouse keepers disappeared without a trace yeah. from this this lighthouse. That seems to be the agreed upon basis uh, at least from a lot of reviews and a lot of things i saw on on youtube and whatnot that this is at least based on or loosely linked to or used as a backdrop for the uh the story that story where these lighthouse keepers kind of once their rescue vessel got to them they were gone without a trace and the last thing they had in their notes was that there was a bad storm that hit them so there's a a movie apparently with the guy from 300 what's his name please the the guy from uh greenland the, the um, Scottish, yeah, um, Gerard Butler. Arg. Gerard He's Butler. A pu- Gerard Butler. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Gerard Butler's in it. The 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 guy from Lockstock is in it. You know, the, there's a lot of these British thespians. The kid from Sex Education is really fun. Uh, fun actor there he's he's in it as well and i was almost tempted to watch it if you if you didn't you know say we're recording anytime soon i probably would have watched it <laughs> i would have seeked it out you've, you've really stuck me in this uh here's that's the thing you could jump in and out i get mired in this mm-hmm. and i can't now i can't leave i'm just <laughs> stuck but the ghost story aspect of this is the most fascinating where you literally have alien interpretations but you also have the fact that defoe could be dead all along so that's and i mean that's one of the many questions and eggers does a great job of answering nothing and i i I mean the witch is a much more clear and the witch leaves you with questions and we we kind of address those but this the what you have the facts of this 
story are Pattinson is kind of the intern that's hoping to get hired. He picks up a job for four weeks working for this lighthouse keeper who's Defoe. Defoe refuses to let him near the actual light, which is the, which is at the top of the tower. And it's kind of the deterioration of the mental state of Pattinson's character. Is the Defoe's character mentally deteriorating with him? Is Defoe's character actually gone already? Is Defoe's character even there? These are like the questions that you don't really have an answer to, and weaved within those questions are the allusions to the Greek gods and the allusions to the ghost story. And, I mean, these are the kind of the... They're not the entire story. They're not the entire script. They're not the story arcs, but they're pieces that Eggers kind of interweaves to bring you to the the edge of okay now you tell me what exactly happened in this movie and willem defoe's character completely screws you up the entire film because he's bringing to to all these different theories to light himself in the text he is saying well you i bet you think i'm a figment of your imagination or oh here all the seabirds Yeah, the seabirds are are ghosts of uh, dead sailors, mm-hmm. and of course, the one-eyed head you find in a lobster pot, a, lo- a lobster basket later on, is also uh, you know could be the the one-eyed gull who keeps being territorial every time well, you walk cutesy. up to the door of the cottage. It's cutesy storytelling too, because there is a definitive dream sequence in the beginning of this movie. The first time Robert Pattinson, at least what we what we think and we interpret, is to be a dream sequence, because the first time. Thomas Howard there, Pattinson's character, encounters the mermaid, then he's waking up. You know what I mean? So that's, I mean, as far as movie and storytelling tropes go in movies, that has forever been, this character is dreaming that. Mm-hmm. So we have that basis of, okay, he's willing, Eggers is willing to go into the dreamland. So he, you know, he's going to blur reality with fiction. We just don't know where the line is. And then it's, well, is he actually doing that at all? Maybe this whole thing is fake. Yeah, the whole thing could be fake because it's too out because he starts to blend it all together mm-hmm. towards the end. Right. And it's it's very hard to figure out what's uh what's real and what's not real and that's precisely the point I think. I agree. That being said, the camera work could tip the hand. I would say I, yeah, I would say that video. This. Yeah, I would say uh, look, I'm not going to reprise the whole video for you guys here. It's 80 minutes. But he leads off with the fact that kind of the grainy exteriors, the stuff that was shot with cameras that look like they could have been of not the time, but of the you know the onset of cinema mm-hmm. with the one. I mean, it's all the same aspect ratio, but the crystal clear stuff was actually the dream stuff. The the, the higher resolution stuff was the dream stuff, and the grainier stuff was by by this guy's theory what was actually in the reality of this story, this old timey tale. And yet, you know, the, the, the dream stuff, because I think this is more of the, the brothers looking inward and psychoanalyzing themselves and the characters and their adulthoods and their, and all this stuff around the me too time where toxic masculinity was such a big piece of the news. And when Willem Dafoe was asked, Mike, I, he, I thought he spoke on one of the clearer themes of the story. No matter what you might think is the reality of it, he, he shouted toxic masculinity. They're pushing each other's buttons out of fear and out of threat of who they are. They're both guilty. They have this sense of guilt, of wrong. There's no moral judgment in the story. It's just to watch these two guys struggling to find a way to survive themselves. Really, it's a simple story. And they fall ass back. I mean, not ass backwards, but they easily 
I mean, there's a dick measuring contest the entire movie long. Everything yeah, is a dick measuring contest between these two. So that makes a lot of sense. If it's higher gods and lesser gods by the uh, classical interpretation, if it's the father-son, surrogate father, I mean, he literally mentions it at the end of the movie. You think you're my father, you're not. Mm-hmm. You think you're a copper, you're not. You're not. You never were a captain. You know, F you. We have done with you. And, it, and, it, and then there's also, of course, there is the potential for repressed sexuality here i mean this could be repressed homosexuality there's very overt references to it throughout the story i think is it homosexuality if you only want to get off to the back of an elder man's head (laughs) i think it might it's probably more bisexuality i would agree with that i i mean look and i'm not trying to say that there's no way it's in because who knows what my interpretation is versus anyone else's the only person that knows what's going on are the eggers brothers but to me i I have a tough time accepting it's only about repressed sexuality or homosexuality because i mean pattinson's character is so very clearly attracted to the female form and fantasizing about the female form multiple times in this movie the fish mermaid turns into a giant vagina right who he immediately has sex <laughs> right. with immediately right and then so he that, goes that, back that, to that. fantasizing about groping the her breast and when he's groping her breast when he actually meets her for the first time. like there's there's a lot there that suggests to me if you want to talk about bisexual I, I would be more willing to buy that than i am just homosexuality but again i mean i'm an idiot so who knows you and i are idiots we are asexual <laughs> right? so there's i don't too. think we have a, 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 a pot or a kettle to stand right. on or i don't know whatever what whatever the saying is but they're definitely You're standing in a pot that I'm trying to pee in. <laughs> it's definitely a treatise on toxic masculinity. Right. Guys suck. We don't know how to process our feelings. Right. These two idiots basically ego joust the entire film. Uh, it's definitely a guy with a daddy complex. Hey, look, I mean, there is it's the scene where, where Pattinson takes off the shingle of the roof and he's clearly spying on, on Defoe, who's writhing in bed at that moment and he's staring way too long. And we have, oh, this is just nautical antichrist. Yeah, there's that. So maybe, yeah, maybe there is some homosexuality involved in this. I don't know. They definitely, and it's confirmed later in the movie they definitely spy on one another right. while they jerk off right <laughs> so there's that uh there's arguments on all sides i would say uh i do think the pattinson interpretation of you know he's like i don't want to make a movie about a magical lighthouse i wanted to make a movie about a fucking crazy person well is how mission accomplished <laughs> but like he's that unreliable narrator from the beginning with the mermaid on night one as you mentioned so I just wonder, you know, how do we take the supernatural, is this like a supernatural horror or is it a psychological thriller more for you or psychological horror, I guess? I, I just, yeah, more I would lean towards the latter. Yeah, same here. I, I mean, I'm willing to believe a lot of this stuff actually happened, but I do appreciate Egger's misdirections and his being cute with it. Like, Like I told you already before we hit record, there's a scene in which Howard buries Wake, Defoe's character Wake, alive, essentially. And Wake's giving this monologue, uh, basically damning Howard to hell and talking about the the righteousness of man. And Howard comes back in the lighthouse once he has the key and he's finally going to go up to the light, but he stops in the kitchen first. And then Wake busts through the kitchen door. And attacks him with an axe one more time. But I went back and watched that scene. It's really tough to tell because his face might be covered in mud, but his clothes are clean. 
Right. It, it, that is not a man who has just come up from the from the earth and just being buried alive and we, reciting basic Shakespearean poetry. We watched his entire face get buried in dirt. Just cut like it looked like all the dirt worked Correct. into his beard. It's going to take him a month to get that dirt out of his beard. Right. To get that dirt out so, of his collar. And you're right. He just comes so, up. So I mean, there's there's those kinds of tricks. There's no way. What actually happened there is that Willem Dafoe's character got up from the dirt from being buried alive, then grabbed the axe, then broke into the kitchen with all the energy after just getting the shit beat out of him anyway, where he had to he had to submit to barking like a dog and being walked on all fours like a dog because he was just beaten ruthlessly within an inch of his life and he couldn't stand on his own anymore. He just, after that point, gave his speech, got up, grabbed an axe, and then came in to attack Robert Pattinson one more time. There's no way that happened in real life. I think, look, I think if you drink turpentine for <laughs> 18 hours straight, right. you might have a little trouble differentiating real and not right. real. And, and that's, that's that exactly that exact thing, I think, is what we are supposed what the message is supposed to be. Right. There's there's the line gets very blurred. Yeah, there's definitely sub substance abuse here. You know, there's definitely like some conversation about man versus nature. But whereas I thought the witch was a big societal critique, Michael. I think this is more of just like these guys looking inward and saying, like, all right, we're wrestling with our own masculinity here. We're taking it all into the context of the headlines of the time. I mean, we got a, we got a, we got someone in the office, the Oval Office at the time, who's just an ego monster. We got we, again. I don't think it was a big political statement, but I do think these guys were affected when oh, they yeah, wrote I this. Think- uh, well, the the main message I got is that if you were born and raised in the Northeast, you're fucked. But aside from that, <laughs> I, I do think there's all of that mixed into this messaging. And again, I said at the end of our last episode, I, I, I would love I know he doesn't want us to have concrete answers, right. but I would man, I would love like just an interpretation or an outline written by the Eggers brothers here and just tell us like the themes they were going for. Well, I found some more clues though, because like the the classical mythology stuff was was written in afterwards because they did drafts where they kind of like colored a lot of this stuff in, mm-hmm. and ultimately I think when you boil the story down, especially with the major metaphors with the seabirds, which is an inciting incident, changing the winds and basically condemning them to the place forever, uh, when you talk about the murdered second of of Defoe the fa- I mean the the reverse dramatic irony that the boss killed his apprentice and the apprentice killed his previous boss <laughs> you know and these guys both come together and now they have to live together you know it's doomed and he's detoxing and the other guys you know pressing buttons like you know it's headed for a collision but they're both trying to escape their past their mm-hmm. history and their they beans. can't do it yeah they can't yeah, do it. I, there's there's definitely that aspect to it too, and that's what this is. This reminds me very much of our review of us, as a matter of fact, where it's like we felt like there were all these little breadcrumbs to a bunch of different things, but it, it's it's tough saying that this is definitively what the director, what the writer was going for. Yeah, is it about global warming and and the fact that the younger generation is is hateful of the older generation for putting them in the spot that mm-hmm. they're in because you got the old man of the sea literally, you know, thinking the younger generation doesn't know how to do anything and riding them until 
you know, the younger generation revolts. I mean, you got the whole Prometheus myth where he basically steals the fire of the gods, the knowledge of the right. gods, and he gives it to humanity. And, and in some Promethean myths, he creates humanity out of clay. He's that creationist god. So, like, I don't know where Robert Pattinson is kind of in the hierarchy of this, but I, you know he's a corrupted soul from the beginning. So it's hard to say that the, it's one-to-one. Al- it's not an allegory at the end of the day, no matter how you put it, uh, how, how you if frame it. Yeah, it. If, if it ever came out that this was, I would be very surprised. Right. It, it's it's a s- structure of metaphors that I'm not seeing the forest through the trees on right. at all right now. But uh, I did think it was an interesting nugget that he kind of colored in the Promethean protein stuff that wasn't there at the inception necessarily. So that's a... That's a that's a it just clue. makes it more fun, too, doesn't it? I mean, the stuff that is so on the nose that gives you the, the bigger breadcrumbs and you're just like, oh, I, I didn't know anything about the those god, the Greek god stories of those types before I watched this movie and had to do the research on my own. Yeah, I, I, and it was cool to it was cool to watch all the videos on this. So you know, kudos to a lot of people on YouTube who yes. did a nice job. A lot of our favorite publications wrote, you know, ending explained stuff. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, it's it, this was one of those rabbit holes that I was fully willing to go into to avoid thinking about your Boston Celtics over the weekend and how prosperous you are right now. And I, I appreciate all that, that that uh, respite of your braggadocio. I'm trying to use big words because I think I read a lot of big words over the weekend, but I just failed. And again, this is why I'm not a critic who pontificates. But I do think that uh, our next segment kind of puts us more back into our wheelhouse here where we kind of just let, let, let's go back over some of the great scenes of this because how many Reese's eggs are too many Reese's eggs the hard-boiled question doesn't work for this you know episode Mike because we can't boil it down to crack it but mm. we can talk about all the Reese's eggs and the list of great, great scenes here Marcus Smart passing up that three <laughs> at the end it. <laughs> it all gives me pain it's all pain. How about the introductions, like you said? Because we, we hinted at it earlier. They don't talk for a while, but Defoe farts. They drop their bags. They, Defoe, I'll tell you. Defoe's farts get him out of every room. Every time he wants Pattinson to leave and go do his chores, he farts. Well, yeah, and I, I there's got to be more to that. And you want to name this episode Farticus, which I think is a stroke of brilliance as well. But there's got to be more to the, the, the farting than just it being what it is there's got to be some kind of like the subtext to it it's going to be something that blows my mind whenever i can figure it out but i can't for right now but the as far as the scenes that blew me away most the signature egger shots i mean he does mental deterioration so well and he has great actors to rely on too but whether it's the tight close-up shooting up and in the witch it was on Anya Taylor-Joy's face in a couple different scenes, most notably hide-and-seek, but also when they're praying around the, the brother who's fighting off his illness. Uh, but also in this movie, it happens a couple times, shooting upwards. Mm. When, the, hark, when, the hark sequence. It's right there's that. There's Pattinson, there's, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's Pattinson on top of the mermaid is the same kind of shot. There's Pattinson <laughs> shoveling coal into the, the fire towards the end of the movie where he Drinking is Drinking half a bottle of he's vodka gone, in between. Absolutely <laughs> gone. Yeah, at that point. I mean, those shots are so cool to look at. Uh, their last night, their, what they thought was their last night, have a drink, I insist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole sequence... 
Was that Defoe trying to get Pattinson drunk to miss the ship in the morning? Well, I mean, that's a theory. I, I again, I, I think it's all in play here, but I, I just think there's so many tremendous scenes and sequences that that you can interpret ten different directions. But like, I, I loved the showdowns between these guys. There's two tell, there's multiple tell-offs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like Defoe has him, or you know, over the swabbing of the floors, right? And he just goes up and down and right. kicks his ass. And then that night, they start after they became friends on their quote unquote last night. They they have one more. No, the light is mine, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's you know the preamble to the eventual Hark thing because it's just the relationships deteriorating. There's also little stuff that is never even commented on, but I think that scene I showed you where he, the, the you can't kill a seabird. Don't it bad luck to kill a seabird scene. Defoe's telling him, you know, I've seen you going head to head with this goal. Don't kill it. Cause it's bad luck. Hmm. I, I, I mean, do you agree that Defoe is staring up at the shadow and the shadow is very distorted? Pattinson's shadow is very distorted in that scene. His eyes move. You're yeah. right. His eyes move. So if he's a ghost, <laughs> Uh yeah, I, or maybe maybe Pattinson's a ghost. Yeah, I'm know. not sure what it, what it signifies, or maybe he's looking into Pattinson's soul in that moment, and he sees this deformed creature. He sees what Pattinson's going to become. I don't know, but there's little stuff like that that's never even commented on. That it can't be again, much like I said earlier, it it can't be happenstance. Eggers is too precise. Well, there's a lot of uh, breakdown in terms of the hierarchy of these two, where most of the movie Pattinson's below Defoe, literally yes. in every shot. Yes, the guy's hovering over him, and that was one of the few inverse inversions of it, where Defoe's like putting his Good place, point. and he realizes that guy's this guy's a wild card. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't push him too far because he'll kill you, and he might he might he'll kill before he's killed again. You kind of <laughs> and he mentions it later on. He's like at the beginning, I thought you're just gonna kill me in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> and now I know for a fact you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the you know your lot scene was one of the better kind of fight club kind of just, you know, is it real? Is it not real kind of scenes? Uh, he, he basically tells Pattinson that he's nuts. Like, we've been here five weeks since they left us. What are you talking about? So and that's one of the questions. So is Defoe like. Is Pattinson completely gone and Defoe's the the sense of reason, he's the conscious of the movie, or is Defoe just preying on a mentally weak Pattinson for his own enjoyment and self-defense, quite frankly, at that point? Like what what did you Or is it purgatory and they've always been there? Right. Is that just (laughs) what they're gonna do forever? They're just dancing that dance. Right. Is is has he already killed Defoe and right. he's now here in purgatory reliving it all until his eventual fate or you know, the Promethean fate that he gets as a punishment from Zeus. What you know, did you I mean, take that as? What I mean, what do you what's your personal interpretation? <sighs> my my personal interpretation is it is happening that it's not a ghost story, even though I think it's it's it is all in play. I so Defoe's fucking with him? I I think that the director, again, gave us a little interesting nugget where he's like, I purposely wanted to mess with the audience and keep Pattinson's stubble the same length for the whole movie. Number one, that helped with continuity. But mm. number two, that would just keep everybody guessing. Now, Defoe's beard goes different lengths. So Defoe's oh, beard is definitely longer towards the end, even though... Even though uh, 
they shot i know they shot the burial scene like one of the first scenes they shot can you if you can imagine (laughs) they the first scene they shot was a masturbation scene (laughs) and one of the first teams again just like this podcast (laughs) was defoe getting buried alive so just what a whack movie I, I I do think the 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 other scenes we gotta talk about. I mean the the drinking scenes, the monkey pump. I mean I want to party with Willem Dafoe. I don't want to drink what they're drinking, but Jesus, they had fun, man. <laughs> it was every college party I've ever been to. <laughs> I, I love you. I love. Would you say to me? <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. Completely craziness. And I had to look up the term monkey pump. So apparently it's a sailor's phrase when the the sailors would stick a straw into one of the bottles because they're all raging alcoholics in the in the casks of rum. They would like somehow screw in and the monkey pump, they would put some kind of a straw or some kind of funnel and get the rum to come out of the cask and they would all drink from it. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I learned something today. Uh, I was going to mention, uh, I was going to mention everything you know that I loved uh, in terms of the cinematography regarding the spiral staircase. Yeah, that's and, where uh, I was going next. The Hitchcockian the type slow zoom down as that light is just bouncing off of Pattinson's eyes as he's looking up with that greed and that lust towards the light up top because he hasn't been able to be allowed in there yet. And what is it holding and why can't I get in there? And when he's finally about to do it, I mean, my God, that shot is gorgeous. And this is what we should have introduced. It's hand-painted. Our favorite shots mm-hmm. are camera movements slash play- placements, uh, like a hand-painted pastel Easter egg because, yeah, the camera movement was spectacular. The the editing also factors into this, where I, I thought the lighthouse yeah. was kind of more controlled. The editing of this movie seems to be just she's having fun with this. She's going mm. off and... I, Eggers actually talked about he kind of cornered themselves with again shooting a lack of coverage in this because he just despises too much coverage. He doesn't want his movies. Me too, not, Rob. Well, he doesn't want his movies to to watch like TV shows, right? And he gets furious with too much coverage in, in movies. He wants a cinematic language that's unique. It's very Bergman like, and I appreciate him for it. It's a very auteur. It Bergman like. That's a good call. And this. Like the way they edit some of these uh, psychological horrors, I mean, I, I thought the editing, I mean, in retrospect, should have been involved yeah. in the Oscar conversation. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a shame, uh, especially for something like, you know, for, for some of these sequences where they're just, you know, play, they're playing twelve angry men in one, you know, cl- enclosed space to keep you into the scene. And it's not a ton of cuts. It's not as many cuts as 12 Angry Men, but it, it really is that uh, chamber piece style of editing. You know what it kind of reminded me of, too? And this is, I mean, has to do more with the uh, the looks of the giant octopus showing up randomly and, and how it was that <laughs> it was the Villeneuve's movie Enemy with mm-hmm. the giant spider. Mm. Kind of yeah. had some, there was a lot of great cinematography going on in that. I mean, I, you know, nothing to do plot wise, but just those kind of illusions and the the looks of those kind of reminded me of that too but yeah i mean this was just it really was gorgeous to look at the last 20 minutes of this like i said in the non-spoiler section everything from when defoe is getting buried alive and the camera slowly zooms in and we just have this face first of all 
Defoe as an actor, keeping the monologues going in that scene when he's having dirt thrown in his mouth and he doesn't break and he doesn't even spit the dirt out. He's chewing the dirt. He's chewing on the dirt and he just keeps going. Just to get it out. Just the scene at the table where he has food flying out of his mouth and he just keeps going to add to the just the grossness and the put-offness of that character. But going well, back to the last 20 minutes of the movie. If he's a ghost, he can't eat the food, right? So, <laughs> Well, he wasn't spitting out everything. It was just like little <laughs> chunks of stuff. But yeah, sure, that would work. But uh, that, from that scene where he's being buried alive on, because we go from Defoe in the dirt to mm-hmm. Pattinson's to Defoe coming back in with the axe, Pattinson killing him off once and for all, even though it's a clean Defoe at that point, so it can't be him for real, to Pattinson going up the spiral staircase and the light bouncing off him, to Pattinson finally unlocking the, and getting in the big lighthouse at the top, that light room with the majestic gorgeous light that is up there and it opens itself up to Pattinson and the beauty knocks him away and he, he, it brushes Pattinson aside and then we finally have the hard cut to the final scene where like Defoe warned Pattinson scenes earlier that the seagulls were just going to peck at his insides and that's finally what happened I mean all of those shots one right after the other so well done and so well put together and so well shot it's really really stunning to look at even especially in that it's black and white it's uh it's a lot of recreated art of the time period and throughout the mythology and throughout the fables. And this is another fable. Like they're using, they're using animals to convey, you know, as inciting incidents, they're using like the witch, they're basing entire characters on, on, on paintings of the 17th century. Like that scene when Defoe has got the light, he's literally, his eyes are the lighthouse and he's nude. And yes. He's in this power <laughs> God stance. What the hell was that? And there's two Pattinsons. <laughs> I heard the interpretation. One Pattinson is, is uh, Prometheus. The other one's humanity. Give me a break. <laughs> it's, it's just like, one is Batman. The other's vengeance. The other's vengeance. The other one's vengeance. And yes. uh, of course, uh, because he kept referring to himself as vengeance, he wouldn't call himself anything other than that for, I think, two and a half hours. That movie right. was very long. The Batman. I don't so, know if you're going to rewatch so much, it. I'm probably so much not. longer than this movie. <laughs> yeah. And this movie had seven times the amount of stuff. Yes. Never mind the amount of stuff we had to think about. But all right, let, let's talk about the animals for a second. Uh, the animal, uh, a bunny for your sins is a segment here. Why a goat for a witch movie? Why a seabird for a lighthouse movie? All right, well, we can get the latter. Why part. a rabbit for Easter? Yeah. Right. Played by three gulls, we had the bird, the seabird, L- Lady Tramp and Johnny. They're all great at their job, apparently. They all deserve Mike. an Oscar. Unlike, you know, Charlie the the goat as black philip these three were professionals and of course eggers you know he's he's when he talked about it in the director's commentary he got very mad at himself because he slipped when he said uh there's the shot of the fake bird and the edit because it's like a, a jarring cut and he's like i wish i never said that because now everybody knows when it happened i mean what did he think he what did he want us to think that was real but yeah, i guess nah. yeah i, I mean that I, was I, a, I it looks you know it looks like a fake thing because it has to be a fake thing it has to be a fake thing but jesus it looked kind of real for a while there i didn't know what it was i I didn't think it would be real but my god but all right dead sailors represented by seabirds the seabird carrying the winds of the gods again like i wonder if the the second is a part of these uh you know 
dead sailor's souls that is now turned into a seagull. And I wonder if you've somehow shook your phobia as a child of being afraid of all these seagulls because <laughs> you're talking about this. You're texting me about these seagulls with me willy-nilly and you're no longer afraid of a gaggle of seabirds. Or well, are you? Let me tell you, if they actually are all the souls of dead seamen past, then there's a shitload of them on a porch in Maine that love French fries and would kill for them. <laughs> And would you know that now that now that you've seen that, are you going to have the patents and nightmares where you're just <laughs> laying down with your eyes yeah. and belly? If my belly's full of French fries, and they're trying to get at them. Maybe. <laughs> uh, did you think he like? I mean, we could take a literal version of this. After he falls down and probably breaks his leg, he drinks some more turpentine, and he gets tetanus from his hand. Mm-hmm. And did he burn his hand in the lighthouse? Uh, lamp that's another thing like how did the neither of these guys go blind number one for all the you know masturbating they do but also from the (laughs) the fact that defoe goes up there naked every night and stares at a lamp that literally flies across the oceans yeah it's that strong i i'm sure i was trying to figure out too like what is the light and is it fire from the god like that one story is it yeah. Pandora's box type thing. I, I I have no idea exactly what it is. And like like the the goal allegory and like every other allegory we're talking about, I'm sure it's not a one to one type thing, but it's probably a conglomerate or a combination of a bunch of different things. But he survives it because it's a metaphor, is what you're telling me. Right. Answering my question. Well it's yeah. a, I mean it's a good look, point. Is the light gonna be the, that lighthouse is so run down and they're doing their best just to keep it clean as it is, and yet you have this just fabulous million dollar i mean the designs that were in the glass on that light (laughs) were Mm -hmm. were spectacular so does it make any sense whatsoever even if you do take it at face value no that light shouldn't be in that lighthouse it should be an old rusty type thing yes it should have been like the bat uh signal right exactly Mm -hmm. instead of this uh... you know gorgeous chandelier-esque that belonged to the museum somewhere it looked like right the 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 disco ball of the 1600s. Right. So nothing about it makes sense. <laughs> Except for Defoe standing there like a starfish naked at night. I could see that happening. Ass. Ass out. <laughs> ass out to the world. <laughs> from the window. That's how I would keep that lighthouse, I'll tell and you. Pat's and watching. And watching yeah. from underneath as he turns into a squid or not. I don't know. There's something dripping from the ceiling. Wow. What a movie. What a movie. Vivid imagery. Eggers, I'm learning he's very into that. He's not afraid to get vivid with the imagery. I agree. What was your favorite? I was going to say, what was your favorite favorite depiction of of cum? Was it this movie or The Green Knight? (laughs) Definitely this movie. (laughs) Like the whole sash. Sash cleanup. Uh, this movie, they didn't clean shit up. They, they argued. They argued about swabbing this and that. Like, why would you swab a living room? We're like, that's on a Jesus. Why did we allow the term "swab my poop deck" to be a thing that was supposed to be taken seriously at any point in history? I don't know. These things happen. This is this is a movie that should reverberate through the rest of our podcast history as well. <laughs> I know it's kind of it's kind of been lying dormant in the you know up till now but uh like would would you be that surprised if i if i harked you or you harked me here's another thing like who's who 
of the mics. Are you Willem Dafoe or am I Willem Dafoe? We both. I was thinking about that. Yeah, I think we're both Willem Dafoe. Your stuff. We're both thinking that we're Willem Dafoe, but who's the real crazy (laughs) one? We don't know. Uh, I like the uh, that we were hung up on Full Metal Jacket puns because I think that fits well with this. We were, yeah. You you obviously do because <laughs> uh, you you sent me down a Kubrick rabbit hole all day of just coming up with puns. You just we're just texting each mm-hmm. other back and forth mm-hmm. about puns, titular puns. <laughs> so I can't. A lot. Bl- I can't believe we're having a guest on the next episode. Like, <laughs> there's this. a lot like, to be offered in this. <laughs> like, if, if he's this disgusting for 1690s New England, how yeah. gross is he going to get going back to the Viking era? Well, I mean, that's the first thing to look forward to, is that we're uh, seemingly not going to be in New England for the first of for the first Robert Eggers movie ever, right? Yeah. So Number three. Yeah, we'll see. Big I, budget, too. I bet can't we're going to get a tight close-up, though, staring up at the sky at someone's face. We will get that, yes, yeah. 100%. Uh, guys, as always, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns, not only about anything we talked about here having to do with The Lighthouse or the upcoming film The Northman, but also about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. We want to hear from you. You can leave us all of those on our social medias. Do interact with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps, if you appreciate what we do, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on either of those apps, they help us out immensely. They go a long way. Thank you to all of you who have done so thus far. Uh, Michael, you, you've kind of alluded to what's next. That's uh, upcoming. We might have a, an episode in between there, though. So tell the good people what's on the horizon for MMO, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Yeah, I'm really proud of our uh, year-in-preview opening trio uh, the, of that series there. The, you volume know, covering... one, yep. Yeah, volume <laughs> volumes one two and three of the seven part Mm -hmm. series or whatever it's going to be so we're going to finish that series this month ish maybe go into next month but we got a you know we got a special coming uh that uh we're repeating from last year Mm -hmm. and then we got a we're going to build to the 100 percent accurate picks sure so that'll be the the finale of the year in preview series unless we just carry it on all year and just do 57 of them that's the hope mentioning that is but we're gonna we're gonna get back to our oscar race checkpoints i think the news has kind of mounted up uh especially the oscars adjacent news with yeah we got to check in on all that we got to check in. It's it's a fun episode. Although, like I said, I'm really proud of our year in preview series because we actually covered most of the can movies that got tabbed. So that that's pretty cool. Nice. But we got to weigh in on the box office, etc. I don't know if we want to do much more at Will Smith, but maybe there's a you know a side story that we'll get into. Maybe Chris Rock will speak finally, mm. and we can talk about that. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely be covering every angle of the Oscars fallout. We want to do a how to fix the Oscars thing. You know, again, read the Feinberg article right now, his 10-point plan. I think we'd probably, you know, talk about that first of all. Maybe we do a whole episode just <laughs> talking about Scott's article. Well, first, I mean, the, but... fu- the fun part of that article was that we inadvertently, we had him on before that article came out, and we talked about some of those. He talked about some right. of those with us on our show, which was fun. So if you want to go back and listen to that. Absolutely. And and we've done a How to Fix the Oscars show before, but mm-hmm. I think that's that's going to be in the cards at some point. But we had to get a little separation from the Oscars. Otherwise, uh, as for words of wisdom, uh, should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed? 
God who hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. I don't know what it means, Mike, but uh, I, I think it's wise. The, Yea, the ghost and when thou, Tatum, is rolling towards the basket in a 360 oh. and catches the ball with a layup with no time left. Oh. You know what the worst part about all this is, Mike? Oh. Besides, you know, you for your existence and being a Knicks fan. Yeah, what? By the time this episode comes out, it's going to be like Wednesday. Ho- the series will be one one. I hope you're down two one. Is what I hope. No, no, you, you won't. You can't be down two. How dare you? <laughs> How Look, dare I, all you? I all I'm glad about with this series is that someone has to lose, and I get to enjoy <laughs> the loss. Now you sound like me. <laughs> if I could have nothing but Schadenfreude, we didn't even go over the fact that they could be two parts of the same person the whole the whole movie. So is that what is that what's happening? Is this this I, hive mind see, consciousness? Do you buy into that? No, I don't buy into that at all. But we just proved I just proved it because I'm I'm relishing uh, in my hate for the opponent's mm. basketball team, <laughs> and thereby I'm I'm taking a, a page out of your book. But maybe it's always been my book. We're the same. <laughs> and it's Fight Club. <laughs> it's the same beard, and it's Fight Club, yeah. Yes. When reality sucks, you can come wage the high seas with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make a war season year-round. Without the stuffiness, like Mike said, the Northman is on the horizon. We hope to have a guest in line for that early next week to finish off the Easter Eggers miniseries. Uh, until then, guys, we will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.